So software for security is one area where we, we're expecting to actually see an acceleration even before the COVID situation settles down. Welcome to the Smart Energy International podcast, your guide to innovation and trends in the global power and energy sectors. Hello, I'm Claire Falkvane, your host for today's discussion. The impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the world has been widely covered and discussed. But as the world shifts to balancing economies versus health concerns, we turn our attention to the next phase of this changing landscape. How is the power sector going to be impacted by this pandemic in the long run? How is it going to affect operations? What are the implications for the utility workforce? In order to answer some of these questions, we spoke with Philippe Vier, who speaks to us as the global energy and utility sector leader for Capgemini, Torsten Heller, CEO of Greenbird, and John Wells, VP of Customer Solutions for Networked Energy Services, about what they believe a new normal would look like. Torsten, I'm going to start with you as someone who is involved in the software side of the business. Greenbird obviously has a strong focus on analytics and making more of the data which is available to utility customers. What sort of feedback have you been receiving from utilities that you work with and also from other people within the sector as we shift into perhaps not a new normal, but a different kind of normal? What I have seen, various areas where utilities had to react. The first thing is an obvious one is, of course, they had to enable to work from home. And what is interesting is, of course, companies like uh, we in Greenbird or most probably you too, you are used to work from home. We are all used to have a laptop. We are used to do video meetings. We are used to do this kind of a remote work. Interestingly, many utilities weren't prepared for it. And what we have seen is uh, when utilities started to say, oh, we have to do this kind of digital transformation now, what they really talked about was to enable their employees to work from home in a secure way. That surprised me, of course, because as a software guy or running a software company like Greenbird, we are used to, to this kind of a remote working style. But for many utilities, the first step in the end was to get the workforce being able to work from home. Another interesting thing is, that is something I never thought about myself, when you think about the operations control rooms, so where the utilities are managing and controlling the high voltage network or the mission critical infrastructure, I have seen articles and blog posts where people working in the operations control room were working there for six weeks isolated and haven't seen families or something like that because that is a mission critical function. So these people had been, let's say, almost locked down in the operations control room to be able to deliver the quality of service we all expect. And that is, of course, interesting because in a situation like now, you still have to deliver quality of service. You still have to deliver the energy to the people. So the control room, the operational technology, how do you handle it in a situation like that? Two days ago, a, a guy from National Grid had LinkedIn post where he came out of the operations control room and saw his family for the first time after six or eight weeks. And that clearly means we have to change. We or the utilities have to rethink 
the concepts and have to rethink how the future operations control room will look like. And the third thing I think is quite interesting is that many of the topics we have talked about for many, many years now are accepted. And I want to give you an example. You know that I always talked about the transition for a utility from being a pure wired utility operating an infrastructure that the utility should become provider, lifestyle provider. And that is exactly what we see now that utilities have understood we are moving into a new era. We are moving much faster into this smart digital living. And we as a utility should be the platform provider or the service provider for smart living. Yeah, during our webinar series that we did at the beginning of May, we spoke to a couple of people who had actually filled us in on some of their remote operations or the lengths that they were going to to ensure that operations continued. In the Philippines, one of the generation plants there had been locked down on site for 21 days. But it wasn't just the operations team that was locked down. They also had a team of service providers, so people who did catering and cleaning, that had also chosen to go into lockdown on the site. You know, I do wonder if people appreciate the level of sacrifice that has been undertaken by the sector. Exactly, exactly. And uh, think about how many utilities haven't been able to deliver the energy to their clients. I haven't heard a lot of examples. So in the end, uh, what the industry did, we all did a great job, didn't we? Because there were no major blackouts. There were no problems with the quality of service, with the delivery, the supply of energy. So uh, the industry reacted extremely well. But as, as you said, people had to be locked down and we cannot have the same kind of working in the future. And I'm quite sure that uh, we will see a lot of innovation now, I believe. Philippe, as Global Lead for Energy and Utilities for Capgemini, you've obviously had a bit of a different conversation with your customers in terms of how they've responded initially to the pandemic and also how they're now taking that response to the next level. Could you perhaps talk about some of these challenges, um, particularly the challenges that they faced, but also what the implications you believe are going to be as we move from a lockdown situation into something that's slightly more reminiscent of what we're used to. Yes, absolutely, Claire. And thank you for that. Uh, of course, we have uh, observed what our clients were doing uh, as we are helping them to operate uh, day by day. Huh? Uh, we have observed uh, what they were doing uh, to react to the crisis, but also to envision what will be their new normal. Uh, which is far more important for us uh, than uh, only helping them to apply uh, their business continuity planning. So we have observed uh, that in the lockdown period, uh, the demand has decreased. All the uh, players have gone through their business continuity planning activation, uh, meaning uh, remote working, uh, not only for their customer services uh, support function, uh, but of course some activity, for example, uh, not cutting uh, the clients that were in trouble uh, to preserve it. It was uh, their immediate reactions, and we had uh, multiple opportunities to help them in this situation. This being said, uh, the lockdown is ending in some countries, will end in the others, and the demand will grow again. Philippe, perhaps then I could ask, 
what do you think the new normal will look like and how should your clients prepare and adapt to this new normal? For new normal, we have multiple topics to envisage. First of all, uh, what will be the demand and finally the, the, the commodity price. Of course, the demand with the GDP decrease, the demand will stay low. Uh, meaning, for example, that we are forecasting with all of the players that the uh, oil demand will probably decrease uh, 6 to 10 percent and the electricity demand on the same way. Huh? But after the crisis, will the rebound lead to the same situation that before the crisis? Or will our way of living and working change radically? This is a good question. Huh? I guess that the, the, the white collars will stay partly at home, uh, like you and me today. Uh, we work from home, meaning that uh, the tertiary uh, sector uh, will be impacted for all the, all the clients. This is for sure that we will travel less. So it will have the consequence, of course, on the demand and on the load curves, because we will see that the demand will be less coming from the tertiary, probably increase in the residential sector. The consequence will be also on the industrial sector. We'll see two moves. The first one is that some plants will close because, uh, for example, in automotive or in the air uh, construction, there will be an overcapacity and uh, the, the players will stop, close some, some plants, all the geographies, which will mean lower demand. But at the same time, to protect against the dependency on various geographies, China, India, or other countries, we will see a relocation movement of industries in Europe, in North America, to be less dependent on some, some sectors. I'm not speaking here of the solar panels. I'm speaking of every good or services that we buy from far, far geographies that will be relocated. So we don't know. At this stage, what will be the consumption resulting of these two moves? Closing plants on one side, relocating plants on, on the other side, and betting more on the, local, on the local economy. So with all of this, the new ways of living and working and industrial transformation, definitely the load curves of our clients will change. They will have to adapt to these new load curves probably uh, more or less flexibility, depending on that, depending on the growth of renewables, uh, that will continue to go uh, for sure, because energy transition will uh, be uh, a critical, uh, a critical uh, domain. And uh, this in a more volatile market landscape, uh, meaning the wholesale prices will uh, vary depending on the demand and uh, the, the load, depending on the international tensions on the geopolitics side, and the players will have to be more and more adapted. The first uh, big consequence. Second big, big consequence uh, with uh, this volatility, with the decrease of the revenues and the decrease of the margins of some players, there will be a heavy work to reduce uh, the other in cost-saving programs first. Uh, and secondly, to um, better manage the, the, the investment, the capex. There are also other um, important moves that will be uh, that will be done on uh, 
the, the competition on the market because uh, with uh, the the prices on the food sale market and on the commodity prices, uh, you will see some alternative players taking advantage of low uh, levels of uh, wood sale electricity or gas markets uh, with uh, an acceleration of their, of their digital transformation. Uh, we will see definitely aggressive position on the market uh, and probably uh, on the same moment we will have uh, multiple people with power purchase decrease uh, that will be in trouble uh, to pay their bill that will have more appetite for cheaper cheaper prices, cheaper offers. So the churn should increase uh, end of this year, next year, uh, when the alternative players could take advantage, uh, will take advantage of the low wholesale prices. So uh, we predict an increase. Uh, I don't know uh, what will be the magnitude of this increase, two, three, four points or more of uh, churn rate uh, and in these markets this retail markets which are not really profitable uh, we will see uh, changes we will see also failures uh, in the market uh, and a lot of consolidation moves when for example the shale oil or shale gas producers will be struggled with the energy prices they will probably some of them fail uh, will be acquired or not by the other players digital transformation uh, of course, with uh, OPEX urgency or OPEX moves, uh, the operators will take advantage of digital transformation for two things. First of all, uh, reducing their costs and there are levers that have not been exploited, uh, exploited today uh, to reduce their costs through uh, digital transformation, but also to enable uh, more remote working in activities like uh, plant maintenance, energy services, you can do a lot with uh, artificial intelligence, process automation, AR, VR, and uh, players will probably accelerate their digital transformation and for sure for all revisit their digital transformation. What we have seen, um, it's very, very insightful uh, from the oil and gas players. They have cut all their costs, but they have kept or maintained their uh, digital transformation and even accelerated their digital transformation investment to get access to uh, easier remote working and to get access to uh, low-hanging fruits uh, in terms of uh, savings. So a big move. Second thing I would like to mention is about energy transition or sustainability. All the operators now will accelerate their diversification when we speak of oil and gas players. Typically, what was what has been announced by Total acquiring uh, EDP in Spain, they accelerate their diversification on renewables, on storage, on hydrogen, on electric mobility, but also on the retail electricity and gas markets. And you have seen that uh, in the few past weeks, all the oil and gas players have announced that they will be uh, carbon neutral by 2050, uh, Shell, Total, uh, all the major European players. And they will accelerate uh, their transformation on energy transition for them and for their clients. And this is an important move for them uh, that is coupled with uh, the diversification of their, of their portfolio, of their activity. These are the main observations we have on the market. And of course, I have more questions and predictions uh, 
then, then real predictions and more questions for uh, our clients. So we are uh, interviewing them to get access to their strategy, to get access to their main projects, and to uh, finally accompany them uh, on their uh, transition to this new normal, uh, which is uncertain. And we don't see uh, the form, the shape of the crisis, uh, but for sure we know that the, the future will not be exactly the copy of the, of the past. John, you took a slightly more formal approach toward your clients and, and the research that you did. Could you perhaps talk us through how you did that and what the results have been from those discussions? So we initiated a, uh, a piece of research to identify what the world was going to look like, uh, both in the, in the latter stages of the corona outbreak and then going, going into the post corona world. What we wanted to do was, was make sure that our offerings to our customers align the, the needs that they're going to have as part of the part of the recovery activity, but also going forwards when we're when we're working in uh, what is increasingly being called the, the new normal. We obviously started from from the premise of what we were seeing within our customer base at this point in time. Our customer base is uh, predominantly in the in the Nordics and northern northern Europe, and what we were finding in those in those countries was that there has been some impact in the speed at which uh, smart metering infrastructure is being rolled out, and that's essentially because of the the various social distancing rules which are applied in in each of those those countries. At the end of the day, uh, to install meters, there is some level of physical presence that's required to do that. And also associated with that is some level of, of slowdown in, in maintenance programs. We also had a sense that to some extent, what you might regard as being essential maintenance for a smart meter infrastructure. So all of the maintenance to ensure that communications are maintained so that the, the smart meters can communicate back and essentially perform the function that they're required. The, the maintenance to keep that level of communications at a high quality was maybe not being executed quite as much as uh, before corona hit us. Essentially, again, because that requires some level of field maintenance. Now, at, at the same time, we, we were conscious that the corona situation is putting a lot more focus on automation and remote control. So. It, it was important for us to, to confirm that with the marketplace. So looking at things like uh, meter, meter reads as, as an essential function of, of the smart meter output, were those meter reads being continued in an automated fashion, but also other elements of automation which are also essential in a smart meter environment. Things like handling of fraud and non-payment, uh, non so being able to turn on and off the the service uh, consumption control a uh, meter configurations you know the kind of bread and butter work that you need to do in terms of uh, updating meter configs updating firmware you know releasing the latest firmware patch the latest security patch those those were all things that we felt would also be something that, that would have to change in in focus in, in terms of their, their relative importance in the world immediately after the coronavirus we also had a had a sense that there's change in how energy is being consumed 
many of our projects, we actually find that, that even, even a small change, like uh, having a, a laptop or, or other kind of IT devices in a house, can actually significantly change how energy is drawn from the grid, especially if that trend is applied over many, many households. So the, the whole change in energy consumption due to more homeworking and, and even things like you know, increased uh, air conditioning as we get towards summer, those changes in the way that the grid was used would require uh, DSOs to start looking more closely at how energy is distributed within the grid and thus require more of a sophisticated smart metering infrastructure to, to monitor those characteristics. Finally, we were actually very concerned about security. And at the first sight, it's perhaps quite difficult to draw a direct line between security and coronavirus. But we're already starting to see articles in newspapers which are starting to talk about how coronavirus has changed the way that uh, office IT security is implemented. So a lot more people are working from home. Uh, that means that there's a lot more opportunity for cyber criminals to attack IT infrastructure, given that the, the workforce is now distributed far wider. Uh, and this in turn has required uh, IT security operations teams to focus more on maintaining that home working infrastructure and protecting against uh, attacks coming in from that mechanism. That in turn has reduced the amount of focus on the amount of SecOps that could perhaps be allocated more to the smart grid security. So we saw that as, as an important trend. Thanks for those particularly insightful comments. I think it's always interesting to see how the different elements of our sector are addressing this new way of being. But if I may, John, um, I'd like to move on to a question that is more investment focused. First and foremost, um, I was interested to find out what your research had indicated in terms of how customers are going to be spending their money, uh, perhaps where they're going to be investing it and whether or not the current pandemic has impacted or delayed investments, and whether or not you think that's going to carry through into the future. There's a number of different drivers for any investment in smart grid. So one extreme, we have government regulation that's um, driving the, the overall investment in, in smart meters. And at the other extreme, we see technology innovation driving a business case for a DSO to in, invest in, in smart grid. And you know, the, each, each of those are driven by different external motivations. Obviously, the, 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 the government regulation, we, we haven't seen so much of a change in that as yet, because those, those kind of regulatory bodies tend to, tend to take longer periods to, to change their policies. So the markets where we're active in, we haven't seen any slowdown from a, a regulatory perspective. I think the, 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 the other driver around around what is essentially a business case driving the introduction of new technology. That's obviously something which is more in the control of, of the DSO. You know, they will have a business case and part of that is, is the investment in the smart grid infrastructure and then there's the, the anticipated benefits that are going to accrue as a result of doing that. And this is the point where there is perhaps more flexibility for DSOs to, to choose to, to defer. Part of the reason for actually asking the questions in the questionnaire is to try to understand more about how that particular driver is, is impacting rollouts. 
our perspective so far is is that the main drive that's slowing rollouts down is is actually around the social distancing aspects of the physical work of doing a smart meter rollout and i think if if you look at that and focus on that then we believe that we're looking at, at a deferral rather than a cancellation that's perhaps focused on our customers and and other dso's which which are part way through a smart meter rollout but I think if we look at those markets, which you might see is starting to starting to embrace uh, smart grid technology, uh, so markets that that perhaps six months ago hadn't decided to take the plunge into a smart meter rollout, we think that there will be a lot more interest from those markets and those uh, DSOs operating in those markets, because the benefits of the automation and the remote control will really come out a lot more clearly. You know, the lessons that they'll be learning are around you know, the need to continue doing self-meter reads, manual meter reads, having manual termination of service in the event of non-payment. You know, those are very manual things which, which are fine when your field force are able to visit customers and interact with customers. That obviously becomes a lot harder when there are restrictions in place. So what we're anticipating is a significant increase in activity coming from those markets which are embarking uh, on a smart meter program, essentially to, to drive to the automation and remote control. I mentioned security as well. And what we're also spotting is a change in bias in the short to medium term from investments in hardware so the actual smart metering infrastructure itself, and investments more in the in the associated software solutions. Security is is a key part of that. So I, I mentioned earlier on how the how the security threat coming from COVID, you know, could actually require additional systems and solutions to be put in place to help the the SecOps team, if you want, start start to automate in a sense how some of their their more common security issues are, are handled. So software for security is one area where we, we're expecting to actually see an, an acceleration even before the COVID situation settles down. Similarly for the, for the maintenance as well and the you know, streamlining maintenance. So whilst there may be a slowdown on the hardware side of things, we're anticipating and we're actually ready for and making our own investments towards a speed up on these, on these software solutions that, that help make maintenance more efficient and also help to secure. Torsten, your perspective is perhaps a little bit different to John's. Being a startup and a fairly new company, how have you found the investment climate into businesses such as yours? And have you felt an impact in terms of how money is being invested, both into, say, your company, but also into projects that you were previously trying to secure? I see, of course, uh, investments more into the digital communication with the consumers to get closer to them, to, to serve them more remotely, because that is also, of course, a big change in the future. You cannot just send out some installation guys to fix uh, your infrastructure. If there are some problems, you have to think carefully through. Though these kind of services, there's a willingness for investment. As we get used to engaging with one another in a slightly different, slightly more socially distant way, what do you think this is going to mean for the utility workforce? For the workforce, I think there are two major changes we're going to see. The first thing is it's already now accepted 
to engage with people you never met in person. What I mean is people typically want to meet in person. You want to build a relation because a relationship, because when we work together with utilities and we deliver mission critical data in, uh, information infrastructure, we are quite an important part. And of course, and I totally understand that the, we want to have a relationship with the utility. The utility wants to have a relationship with us. They want to look us in the eyes and see who we are. And now we already see, and that is uh, the positive thing, I, all the remote work, all the digital work, uh, meetings on Zoom and Team, we are almost able to build this kind of relationship without traveling. So the good thing is we are able to engage with the clients and we can uh, build this kind of a relationship now, even in a digital way. So this kind of acceptance, I think that is quite important for all of us. On the other side, people get more and more used to work remotely. But that means in the end, I'm working from home. What is my relationship with my employer? It's almost like I'm a freelancer, I'm working from home. So as a utility or as a service provider, I have to think through and maybe I have to accept that people will move on to a different job much faster because I cannot have the same kind of a relationship anymore with my workforce. And the workforce anyway works from home. So maybe we will see that people, I mean the workforce, is moving between jobs much faster. Maybe we have to think through how can we build an environment, a platform where we can onboard new employees or workers much faster, where we also can offboard them much faster because I believe that working more and more from home means in the end that more and more of the workforce starts thinking like freelancers, meaning you are engaged for six, nine, 12 months in the project, and then you are jumping to the next one. And that means for us as a software provider and for the utility on the other side, we have to prepare measures, we have to prepare routines, we have to pre prepare development environments and platforms where we can onboard fast, but where we also can ensure the quality of the work delivered and we have just to prepare for something like that. That might be one of the, let's call it negative consequences for me as an employer, or for utility with the workforce. That is, of course, a very interesting perspective. I'm not quite sure how I feel about such a disconnected workforce, but it is going to be interesting to see how this develops and if this is going to fundamentally change the way that we not only engage with one another going forward, but also with our careers and with the companies that we work for. Exactly. But from the other side, if you take uh, the employer point of view, I could also say, let's see, 50% of my workforce is working remotely and I only engage with Zoom or Teams with them. So maybe it means for me an opportunity to get more genius developers not located in Norway. It means maybe that we start to, to work completely distributed too. So it can also have these kind of positive things for us, being able to recruit people, to hire people from a com 
completely different countries working in a distributed way. And maybe it's even getting more cost effective as we have uh, countries where they do not have the same salaries. So it might be also a positive thing. But in the end, of course, at least for me, I always like to engage with people. I think there's a lot of energy meeting people in person, having a whiteboard, discussing new product features. That is something we are missing out at the moment. John, we obviously saw that when the world was in various stages of the lockdown initially, a lot of maintenance work was put on hold or deferred until such time as unrestricted movement was perhaps a little bit more possible. Can you share some of the insights that you've gathered with regards to maintenance and how it is going to be possible to either catch up or perhaps just continue with maintenance, considering the new dynamic within which we're going to be working? On that point in particular, maintenance is, is one of those things that you can get away with scaling back for a period of time. It's, you know, it's a little bit like, uh, like maintaining the roads. For a little while, uh, you don't get potholes. But even whilst you're not having those potholes, you are still incurring a kind of maintenance debt. Mm. Uh, and one of, the, one of the solutions that we have is specifically designed to assist uh, a DSO in that maintenance activity. So it helps to recover from that maintenance debt faster. It's, it's effectively a way of you know, paying that debt off quicker and with lower costs. So, so, so we do see that that maintenance activity is as being important and you know also the way that a lot of smart grid systems work you know they're they're at, at least the ones that, that we work on we we try to deploy them and have generally been successful at, at deploying at a, at a very high degree of communications capability we you know 99 communications is pretty standard mm. for, for a meter deployment and you know that 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 can be allowed to drift to a degree if it drifts down to 98%, 95%, well, you know, okay, you'd still say the system's working pretty well. But there comes a, a point at which you, kind of, you cross over a threshold and it suddenly becomes a lot harder to rely on your, on your communications. And that's the point at which you suddenly, you suddenly realize that you've incurred that maintenance debt. The, the effort to get you back to where you were at is, is, is actually a lot more than if you had incrementally tried to sustain yourself at a, at a far higher level of communications performance. So that's an example of, of how we like to think of you know, ourselves helping with that maintenance debt. So providing the tools that allow a DSO to continue to do that kind of incremental maintenance so that they don't slide back too far. And what would you suggest to utilities who now find themselves in a position where that debt has caught up to them and they're now needing to make good on some of the maintenance that has been deferred? It's also there to actually do a lot of work remotely. That, that's part of, the, part of the benefits of a smart meter infrastructure. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of tweaking that can be done from a back office by, by people who, who are skilled and know how the system works. Um, but you know, a level of tweaking that can actually achieve surprising results. You know, it's, it's, it's not unusual uh, for us to you know, be able to achieve a 20, 30% improvement in communications, literally just, just by changing the, the parameters of how the nodes actually interact together. So, you know, maintenance or recovering from that maintenance debt, it doesn't need to involve, you know, sending field engineers out in vans to look for sources of, you know, noise that may be blocking communications, look for 
sources where there's there's been a change in the infrastructure that might have changed how the meters communicate a lot can be achieved through looking looking at configuration so so for example one of our customers we've been going through a program of maintenance with them quite recently and there were there, there were new noise sources that had actually been introduced into the into the network and the the, the very manual way of fixing that is to go out into the field find find where the noise is and try to filter it out the the, the way that we actually achieved the resolution in in this particular case was to was to change the configuration of the meters so they actually route communications away from the source of noise that was a really good example i thought of being able to re-establish high quality communications without exposing field engineers into you know, an environment where perhaps they may not feel comfortable. Philippe, a question for you. What does this mean for the sector in terms of sustainability and our drive toward an energy transition and a more environmentally friendly power sector? What do you think this is going to mean for us going forward? It's proven today that uh, the more profitable companies are the more sustainable companies. It has been proven, and it's not uh, for the sector only, it's for every sector. Uh, And of course, the shareholders uh, want uh, the company to to be uh, leading sustainability transformation. Uh, Secondly, we don't know what will come. What will come from the obligations of Paris Accord Agreement, for example, uh, which will be uh, an obligation for everyone to commit to these results and to act accordingly. Will the stimulus package uh, develop sustainability or not? Probably yes in Europe, but it's not enough for the planet. And because if in the same time, uh, the Indian, Chinese or the developing countries uh, are emitting more and more, we are not the winners. Huh? Uh, even if we are uh, the best uh, student in, uh, in this poor uh, worldwide uh, classroom. So uh, we need also to help uh, as a leading geography, Europe, a uh, leading region, uh, we need to help uh, the other countries, uh, for example, with research and development, uh, with new technologies, uh, carbon capture, usage and storage, the development of hydrogen, these kind of things, uh, we need to help all the planet to limit their emissions. Not only our own sustainability, which is the question, it's the planet's sustainability, which is the question today. Philippe, if there's one thing that you would like people to take away from the research that you've done, what would it be? The first one is that uh, definitely the agility, the volatility of everything, the adaptation, which is necessary anytime for our clients. And the second one, if I may, we should trigger uh, behavioral changes uh, for a more sustainable planet. And this is not direct impact from the crisis. This is a a willingness of everyone, uh, starting from you and me and uh, going to our politicians uh, to change our behaviors and to be more uh, savvy in terms of uh, energy and emissions. And John, what about you? The big one that we keep coming back to, and it's, it's because it's the least obvious as far as we can see, is, is the one about security. Yeah. Um, it isn't that yeah, suddenly, suddenly the, the infrastructure has become unsecure. It's that the changes in, in home working have introduced more avenues of attack uh, and have also introduced perhaps an increased number of uh, hobbyist attackers that have got more time on their hands. 
and that that means that the DSO's security teams are you know, focused on maintaining and protecting that infrastructure as well as all of the other infrastructure that they've historically had to protect which includes the the, the smart grid so it, yeah it isn't the case that things have become less secure because of a technology change it's that we need to start automating security um, threat detection and response in those areas where we actually can and perhaps haven't in the past because we've been able to rely more on a security operations team to focus the energy in those areas. Torsten, last but certainly not least, what is the one lesson or takeaway that you'd like to share with the sector? I think uh, we have clearly seen uh, that the utility industry, the energy industry, we have handled this situation quite well. As I said, uh, we haven't seen any major blackout. We haven't seen any major issue, but we clearly have to rethink the way we are working. We have clearly to rethink how will the future utility look like. And, and I think that is a good thing. What we also saw that uh, utilities are willing to share knowledge. So let's use the possibilities we are having now because we are not traveling that much. Maybe we have in between a little bit more time sometimes to share knowledge in the industry, across the industry, and we see people are willing to learn from others, people are willing to share knowledge, and that is in the end, we are all in the same situation now. So let's try to share knowledge Let's try to learn from each other and then let's use the shared knowledge to drive sustainability faster. If you think about most of the countries have been able to react fast and uh, that is also something and you can all, always argue, was it too slow? Was it too fast? Was it too hard? Should it be different? Of course, it's easy to do that. But in the end, uh, most of the countries have been able to react quite fast and to handle a situation like that. And most of the utilities have been able to deliver the services we are used to. And that is something which is also uh, quite cool to think about. Suddenly we have a crisis like that, but the utilities have been able to manage it. So let's help them now to manage it even better in the future. Well, there you have it. I think that we've had three fairly diverse, but not unlike perspectives in terms of how the utility sector and the power sector is going to proceed going forward. There's no doubt that there are many unknowns at the moment, and we're going to be adapting to a new way of life for a long time to come. I think for me, the one thing that gives me great security and comfort is the fact that the power sector and the utility sector has already proven that it is able to move very fast. It is able to be innovative and agile and that the people in the sector are willing to go to enormous lengths to continue meeting their mandate of ensuring secure, reliable power to customers. Please do check out the Smart Energy International website where we have other podcasts that you may find of interest. If you have an idea for a podcast that you'd like to share with us, please feel free to contact us. You can find all of our contact details on our website www.smart-energy.com. Thank you for joining us.